0: On this episode of china unscripted the ccp is infiltrating canadian elections justin trudeau has known about it for years and now we know why he did nothing to stop it welcome to china unscripted i'm chris chappell
1: i'm shelley john
0: and i'm matt gnaista and joining us today is terry glavin he's a canadian author and journalist he writes a column for the ottawa citizen and the national post and he's a senior fellow at the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights thank you so much for joining us today good to be here so you know as as an American I I have a hard time kind of you know we just had the most secure election in history so the idea that there could be election interference is just it's foreign to me so for the audience could you give us a little bit of a a rundown of uh the CCP's interference in in Canada's elections Whoa.
2: Well, um, it started, uh, the word started to circulate about last November that a network of, uh, that involved 11 candidates in the 2019 elections was funded by the Toronto Consulate and that uh, there was a lot of uh, mobilization of volunteers, that some of them were paid. Um, election laws were broken in order to secure the election of at least 11 candidates in the greater Toronto area. And uh, this follows upon revelations, uh, a lot of really substantial evidence from the Atlantic Council's forensic research lab and Canada's uh, own disinfo watch that um a really significant disinformation campaign had been launched um, in the election to ensure the defeat of Kenny Chu, who was a conservative uh, sitting member of the Conservative Party in Richmond on the West Coast. They targeted Kenny because he was the sponsor of a bill in the Senate um, for a foreign foreign
3: influence registry. You've got one of those yourself. we don't have one. Right. so so what would if that bill were successful, what would it have done for Canada?
2: Well it's it's actually you know the, the criticism I've heard of it is it wouldn't do much. What it would do is that any um, representative of the Chinese government or a state ent- state-owned enterprise or an agency of the government. Um, would who was contacting or in, or inter, having any kind of an uh, a, um, uh, an exchange with a federal politician uh, on you know on behalf of any issue or cause
3: or so on would have to register as a lobbyist. Right. I mean, Australia has something like that too, but I mean, given how not very effective at highlighting. Chinese influence and coercion, Australia's law was, I don't see why uh, it seemed like such a big threat to the CCP in Canada.
2: I think it was seen mainly as impudence. Ah. And it wasn't just Kenny. Um, It was, uh, we had a guy until very recently, Aaron O'Toole, uh, who was the leader in the 2021 election He developed a policy on China, on the Uyghurs, on Hong Kong, on national security issues, on state-owned enterprises, on the uh, harassment and intimidation of Chinese Democrats and dissidents uh, in Canada that was really, really robust. It was a page and a half of of his campaign platform. And meanwhile, you've got Trudeau, the Liberal Party and the New Democrats, who it's kind of like a coalition government right now um, with the NDP sort of taking up the, the back seat. Um, the Liberal government's China policy consisted of a single subordinate clause in one sentence. And, you know, I mean, this is after the whole Meng Wanzhou affair. Um, where the American Justice Department issued an extradition request to Canada, we detained Meng Wanzhou, uh when she was passing through town, and uh, Beijing kidnapped Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor and kept them in captivity for best part of three years, I think it was. And so you know the 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 absence of any kind of a robust policy at all um, on the part of the liberal party the ruling liberal party was pretty conspicuous i mean americans have an idea about justin trudeau right you put him on the coverage rolling stone magazine he's this groovy guy wears fancy socks um you know he's a real kind of woke hipster of some sort
3: I mean, he he does have nice socks. I, I really have gotta, nice. gotta he's give him got,
2: that. He, he's got good hair, if I may say. Yeah. That's the main thing. I mean, you know, as,
3: as world leaders go, you know, he's he's pretty good looking. You gotta. It's a gotta grading on that. a curve. Yes. 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 And, oh, he's definitely a, a steep curve, but still.
2: He's a matinee idol. I one one thing, I, if I may, it's a bit of a digression, but I do this when I speak to Americans when I try to explain this kind of stuff. Imagine if Donald Trump. You know, in the 2016 election, there was a lot of noise about Russian psyops and disinformation and, and uh, you know, some evidence, although I don't think it was very strong, of outright collusion. Try to imagine if Donald Trump had, upon election, had hired the head of the Russian American Business Council to appoint his cabinet and, and organize his transition into the White House. And then had seen to it that uh, the president of the Russian American Business Council um, was given the plummiest position in the United States Senate. And then invited a particularly notorious global consulting agency, whose chairman was on a first-name basis with all of the uh, oligarchs surrounding Vladimir Putin, and said okay you're going to write our economic and trade policy and immigration policy and um i mean i could go on with my little metaphor here oh and also had invited vladimir putin to come over and skate around the the ice in in new york in a in new york rangers jersey and had jetted off to uh to moscow and enter into conversations with a with with
0: the Kremlin for a free trade agreement and an extradition agreement so basically kind of what you're saying is that uh, everything people said about Donald Trump and Russia is what is what actually is going on with Trudeau and China this this is what Trudeau did he appointed the head of the, the Canada China Business
2: Council to head his transit transition team he saw to it that Peter Harder was given the plummiest post uh, the leading post in the Canadian Senate he hired Dominic Barton uh, and McKinsey to craft his entire economic uh, growth strategy uh, f- jetted off to Beijing to discuss an extradition treaty and uh, a free trade agreement and was very had a vision for the country in which we would marry our natural resource resource wealth and our advanced capitalist economy with uh, Chinese capital and uh, markets, Chinese consumer markets. That's our guy. That's the guy you put on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. That's, That's the difference between him
0: and Trump. That's it. He's got nice hair. Trump, what, doesn't. Trump doesn't have nice hair. Come on.
3: Yeah, but but Trump does not have nice socks. Uh, you were trying to make a point, Matt? No, it's really it's about the socks, actually.
0: But
2: the other thing I think, just if I may, I don't want to bang on this too much, but just like Trump, uh, Trudeau kind of took over the Liberal Party. 70% of all the Liberal Party members, but when he went into the 2015 election, he had recruited himself he's essentially a function of celebrity culture. You know, he's an entitled one percenter. Um, it, it's, it's a real paradox because Canadians, you know, like there's this new guy, who's the leader of the conservative party. His name's Pierre Polyev. And, uh, you know, it's very fashionable here to say, Oh my gosh, this guy's just like Donald Trump <laughs> when he's the furthest thing from Donald Trump. He's this reedy little nerd. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't want to be uncharitable to Pierre Proliev, but he's just, you know, kind of this goof. Well, that's really mean. Uh, that was mean. I'm sorry. He's kind of, he's, he's pretty goofy, but he's certainly not Donald Trump. So there you go. Um, that's that's Trudeau. That is the background to the story about Chinese influence in this country and the specific interventions uh and interference operations that the united front work department ran in the 2019 and 2021 elections and it was because they were afraid that trudeau might lose and the conservatives might win uh,
0: and now as i understand it uh trudeau's kind of response to all of these new revelations about chinese influence operations and how specifically he and his family have been tied to it you know Justin, Mr. Blackface Trudeau, is calling all these accusations racist. Yeah, that's one of the things he's saying.
2: Um, And that is, you know, there was a terrible controversy over um, scientists with the People's Liberation Army who had to be escorted out of the uh, Winnipeg Microbiology Lab and when those, when, you know, opposition concerns were raised in the House of Commons, he said the same thing. Well, you guys are just being, this is all about anti Asian racism. And I think that's really, that's really, he's really hit a wall with that. Because, I mean, it was dodgy to start with. Because, you know, people who have raised the alarm about Beijing's influences in the Liberal Party and in the Canadian economy. Um, the loudest have been people, how shall I put it, they don't have suspiciously Lutheran sounding last names. They're mainly Asian, they're mainly Hong Kongers, they're mainly mainland Chinese. And uh this latest go-round when he said, well, this is really just anti-Asian racism, um, he was met by a number of fairly prominent voices in the uh the pro-democracy community. Uh ethnic Chinese, basically telling him to shut his cake hole, that this isn't about racism at all, that Canadians have a have a right to know just how deep um, Beijing's reach has spread um, within the Liberal Party and uh, just exactly what they were doing in the 2019 and 2021 20, elections.
1: It's interesting that you were talking about the the disinformation campaign to get Kenny Chu who is ethnically Chinese I imagine um out of the like and he's a conservative out of the race and influence the race to make the Liberal Party win um but the Canadian government didn't they recently say that the Chinese campaign didn't have any effect on the elections
2: yeah, well, that's one of the things, and I know the Amer- you know, Americans, had these conversations as well. How do you determine? I don't think. I mean, how do you determine? You know, what kind of an effect this kind of a thing has on the decisions that people make when they go into the voting booth? I don't think anyone in the country has. I haven't. I haven't encountered anybody of any stature anywhere who has said that you know, the election was stolen in the sense that the Conservatives would have won had it not been for this uh, monkey wrenching. It's quite true that the Conservatives have reckoned that up to nine, I think they say, nine uh, ridings were lost to them because of this. That may be true. Um, It's also something that's peculiar to the parliamentary system that we have, the the first-past-the-post system, people are surprised to discover that only one-fifth of registered Canadian voters voted for the Liberal Party, the Liberal government. It's because we have the Liberal Party, the Conservative Party, the Bloc Québécois, the New Democratic Party, some Greens, Uh, and also it's because uh, votes are concentrated in uh, the GTA and Montreal and vancouver and so in those uh, uh urban landscapes it only takes a handful of writings to completely flip the result of a federal election outcome but i don't think anyone seriously thinks that that you know the the election was stolen by the chinese government
1: right well but in specific writings they may have had an effect like with oh my, my goodness yes yeah. yes yes yeah
3: hmm I mean there's there's the other uh, element too, which is because each party has its primaries, right? So even within the Liberal Party, you might have, you know, four or five potential candidates, and one of them uh, might be backed by the Chinese Communist Party. and they can do some work to make sure that their particular liberal candidate wins the primary in a district that is almost certainly gonna go liberal in the general election, right? Yeah. So that's, a, that's another way in which it's, it's not stolen from conservatives, it's actually stolen from other liberals who are not pro-CCP.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's one of the bigger controversies right now is a fellow by the name of Han Dong in Don Valley North, which is in Toronto. The story is that the Chinese government really wanted him in they uh, made made a lot of mischief for the for the previous liberal sitting liberal MP in that writing and went so far as to send buses of um, recent uh, Chinese uh, immigrants, maybe even visitors, to vote at the nomination meeting. And uh, also students Chinese students who were told that if you don't do it you're told we're gonna you're gonna lose your visa oh that's super illegal um, the thing about it about the you don't have to be a citizen of the country to vote in a in in, in a liberal party nomination race you know there's been sort of a quasi clean bill of health that the overall election has got has gotten from the um, what was it called the critical incident election incident protocol panel or something like that but they only look at what's happening in the 5 week writ period as it's called we don't have one of these interminable election campaigns like Americans do the writs dropped 5 weeks later you go to the polls and in their their jurisdiction is in that period not what happens before most of the mon- monkey wrenching happens before and it, their jurisdiction does not apply to what you might call primaries. So, yeah, that's the point. It's it's a big deal. There was actually a move. Uh, I wrote about this. I guess this goes back to 2017 uh, because of foreign influence. There was an attempt by um, Senator Linda Frum to get law through that would have um, – Looked uh, looked very closely and regulated and governed foreign funding outside the writ period as well, and liberals didn't like that one either.
1: Is there are there current laws related to foreign funding of Canadian elections?
2: Yeah, yeah. Generally speaking, you can't buy a candidate. You can't, and it's also I think or I, I I should say, I think our election spending laws are more civilized than you have down there. Um you can only donate 1500
3: bucks to a campaign but you can donate 200,000 bucks to the Pierre Trudeau Foundation which is totally unrelated
2: That's a hell of a I find it quite a funny story actually Because you know that guy I was telling you about Peter Harder who is the chairman of the Canada China Business
3: Council Yeah well I mean he, give us the whole story because our viewers may not know though Okay well he was content. also the big shot
2: he was also the big guy at the Trudeau Foundation Oh, where do we begin? Uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau was fascinated with, obsessed with, beguiled by uh, Mao Zedong and the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, he wrote a, one of the most embarrassing books ever written by a white guy about China uh, back in the day. Uh, was instrumental in, actually, Canada was instrumental in crafting the formula that allowed. A kind of a—it's the—it's the language that d- d- diplomats use in relation to Taiwan. They acknowledge China's claim upon Taiwan without agreeing with it. Uh, that that little uh, bit—that little sleight of hand was actually a Canadian invention, and Canada was actually you know one of the. We were there as we were. I think we were actually there before Kiss- Kissinger was. So Pierre Trudeau is well-loved in China, where he's known as Potato. And Justin is known in China as Little Potato. And Justin, I mean, this is bread and the bone with these guys. This is their culture. This is, you know, a lot of people will say to me, God, the Chinese must have something on Trudeau. What is the deal with that guy? I mean, seriously. They don't. I don't think they do. I don't think it's as easy as that. It's just the way they roll. Justin Trudeau sees absolutely nothing wrong with any of this. He sees China as the future. He has a special family relationship with China. They beat him up though, they slap him around. It's really embarrassing. I mean, if you think, he's kind of like a, you know, like a, you know, some wazir from a distant principality who comes to the Forbidden City from time to time and, you know, makes a, has a too high opinion of himself. Uh, and is annoying, and every once in a while, the Politburo will box his ears because um, he, you know, he wants to, he wants rewards for simply doing what he's told. So the Trudeau Foundation uh, was established by, uh, actually, it was a foundational grant from the the House of Commons, um, and uh, Jingbang, Jingbang, I think it was. You know, an agent of influence, United Front, also a billionaire.
1: Oh, John Bing, I think. Oh. Jean Bing. Yeah.
2: He came over and he said, okay, you know, I'm going to give you a bunch of money. I really like you. You're just like your dad. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to the University of McGill University and I want, you know, we're going to have a statue of Pierre Trudeau and Mao Zedong, you know, and I'm going to give some money to the Trudeau Foundation and now it's all come out that actually he was paid by the Chinese government to spend all this money. two hundred thousand of it went to the uh went to the Trudeau foundation and the thing I find funny about that actually is like okay, we'll take this money from a guy who's a regime agent, but if we discover that you know when he was handing in his per diems, he also you know slipped in the receipt for the two hundred grand, then we have to give it back to him I mean. <laughs> It's kind of comical in that way. Yes. After it all came out. Right. Yeah, the $750,000 to McGill University didn't, there was no statue, but they're keeping the money. Apparently, it's in bursaries and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I think it was funny that like the statue was going to be of Pierre Trudeau and Mao. Like,
2: that,
1: that that it was like, oh, this is going to be a good look.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Read the room, guys. Read the room. The the thing also, I think that's really difficult for a lot of how shall I put it delicately, white people to figure out. Um, We talk about the Chinese community in Canada. There's no such thing. And to the extent that there is, it's not that it's not the Chinese community that was uh, of, of, say, 20 years ago, which was not the Chinese community that built this goddamn country. Those were tai Chinese people. They worked the mines. They built the railroads. They worked in the canneries. I'm an immigrant. We're Irish. And we kind of, em, you know, emigrated into the Cantonese community kind of a deal. And uh, I remember I had to go to, to 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 sort of reacquaint myself with the landscape in which I grew up. I had to go to southern Guangdong, uh, Guangzhou. You know the the, the 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 meticulous agriculture, the beautiful that that was sort of the landscape I grew up in. It was all the, the farmers, the Taishanese farmers along the Fraser River. So the Taishanese and the, the Taishanese language was the language of the majority of the People we used to call Chinese in Canada until I'm going to say the late '70s, and with all of the you know kind of worry and tension and the exodus in anticipation of the Hong Kong handover, um, Cantonese eclipsed Taishanese as the main non-official language spoken in both Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver.
1: So these were a lot of Hong Kong immigrant grants coming That's to right. Canada. Okay.
2: Yeah, and of course they're Cantonese speakers. And then, you know, you had uh, the you know the great capitalist reforms in China, um, and various iterations of wealth uh, wealth migration programs. The immigrant investor program was really corrupt. You know, brought all of these uh, princelings over. You know, the the, the princeling cast uh and really really wealthy um and this is actually key to understanding what's been going on with trudeau and what this is all about you know there would be you know in the last three or four years pro hong kong pro-democracy demonstrations in vancouver and toronto and montreal and you would have these counter protesters and they would show up in their throngs they would be you know organized by the consulates and, and, and they would encircle the protesters in these convoys of Lamborghinis and Ferraris. It's the Mandarin block. The thing that's so, you see, here's what I try to explain it to people this way. <laughs> basically, you got what's going on here. I mean, it may not be on the scale of the Pentagon Papers or something like that. But, uh, you know, this is, this is the intelligence community that's basically saying we're going to break the law. We're going to violate the, um, the Protection of Information Act, which is the successor to the old Official Secrets Act, and we're going to hope that the public interest exemptions will protect us in front of a judge. The law, I guess it's Section 15, provides that um, a judge may be persuaded to find that the public interest in releasing information to the public outweighed the public interest in keeping secrets. Um and here's the problem you got if you're if you're Chinese you know it doesn't mean first second third generation there's no you know the 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 Chinese government doesn't make any uh, uh, distinctions there's the changes to the national intelligence law and the the national security law in 2017 and 2020 which uh, require. Chinese Canadians to participate and cooperate with Chinese intelligence agencies, uh, security agencies, and also the United Front Work Department. Um, And you're obliged to do that by law, and also the national security law. You know, if you say something about Hong Kong, if you kind of diss Xi Jinping, in any significant way or you, if you, if your name becomes associated with dissent um, you you broken chinese law and you stand to be deported back to china and so that's the dilemma that you know it's why it's it's a lot, it's quite difficult i think to determine sometimes whether or not these sort of pro beijing activism and pro pro beijing standpoints And lobbying and so on is
3: coerced or whether it's willingly entered into Mm. so i mean what you're saying is basically that that now with the recent uh like mandarin han chinese uh, takeover of the chinese canadian communities uh like regular ethnically chinese canadians some of whom have been around for a long time some of whom might be pro-democracy or Falun Gong or or Uyghur, or Tibetan or whatever these these like mainstream Chinese Canadians are now under threat from the Ch- new Chinese law and the new Chinese money and the new Chinese political influence that's coming
2: massive massively yeah there it's really kind of sad you know like uh, you know I grew like I say like our first landlord was Mr Bing and uh, when we emigrated from and we loved the guy. I mean, he was amazing. I mean, he's one of these guys, you know, they couldn't vote, for God's sake, until the 60s, eh? You know, they were merchants. They were green grocers. They were, uh, they were workers. And, you know, the old people in China, in the old Chinatowns, uh, you know, the core Chinatown people, they're completely just bulldozed by these rich guys who... Uh, Half of the time, you don't even know, like, there was something like, oh, gosh, I'm going to say, I think it was 400,000 permanent resident uh, permits, that you know, that arose from the immigrant investor program. We don't even know where those people are, you know, uh, whether they're here or whether they've gone back to China. There's 300,000... Uh, um, Hong Kongers and mainland Chinese with Canadian passports in their investment portfolios, and nobody really knows whether they still live here, whether they back when they come over to vote and just visit, come over for the Lunar New Year,
1: have five houses in Vancouver or something like that. Yeah,
2: indeed, yeah. So that's the deal, and the the um, so here's the this is the dilemma that you've got, right? Like if you're a Csis agent and your job is to Try to get a handle on what the hell the United Front Work Department is doing in Toronto, and you you do your best uh, and you, 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 you know you try to be nuanced and take all of these circumstances into account, but you see stuff that's really brazen and is really has become absolutely normalized in terms of you know strong arming and um, political infiltration and influence. And what you find is that the United Front um, base in the Mandarin bloc hierarchy, you know, the, is the same. The same people, same names keep showing up um, as the Liberal Party's base, the Trudeau Liberal Party's base in the so-called Chinese community.
3: They're the same people. Okay, so in other words, it's, it's, it's not that the, that the that Trudeau and the Liberal Party have a lot of Chinese-Canadian support. It's that the, the small amount of Chinese-Canadians that are supporting them are the United Front people.
2: Yes, and I don't know. I should say, uh, you know, they have been quite, in many ways, quite effectively terrified by the Conservatives, a lot of uh, Asians. Because there's a lot of rednecks in the Conservative Party. I think they've been mainly banished now, uh, quarantined uh, quarantined and and amputated. And they've gone to a new party called uh, the People's Party. But, um, you know, it's been hard. It's been a hard road for the, the Conservative Party to get a footing among Chinese Canadians. And it serves them bloody right, I think, for the most part. But until Aaron came along, I mean, Aaron, well, before Aaron, I mean, we have people like Mike Chong, there'd be a lot of great conservative Chinese, ethnic Chinese guys, but um, they really have been frightened by a lot of this stuff. You know, the Chinese, the conventional Chinese media in Canada, Chinese language media in Canada, totally gone, totally monopolized by the Mandarin bloc and the United Front and of course the influence of uh, social media wechat weibo and there's two or three others that uh, you know are, are very
0: susceptible to disinformation campaigns basically the chinese communist party is propagandizing to the canadian chinese community yeah
2: and um, so yeah the whole the whole conversation has been taken over by the united front and the mandarin Bloc, basically
0: yeah. I think what, what surprises me about this whole situation is is CSIS was warning, uh, Trudeau was warning uh, the government about this influence operation, and it just seems like Trudeau didn't care. And, you know, as somebody who, like, you know, portrays himself as kind of like a great friend to the Chinese people, doesn't seem to care that, you know, Chinese students are being coerced by the Communist Party to uh, promote people with questionable links to the Chinese.
1: Well, Communist I mean, Party. I think the important part of that story, Chris, is that... The uh, intelligence service in Canada shouldn't be telling people who can run for office in Canada. That's the that's real. Right. Like, that's the real weird. story here. It's not about <laughs> you know people being coerced by the CCP. It's about whether the intelligence service is out of line.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is like this. This kills me. Like Trudeau was being warned, he ignored it, and now that he's getting caught on it, he's saying the accusations are racist or CCP shouldn't have been like leaking stuff.
2: Well, yeah, not only thesis shouldn't have been leaking stuff, but as Shelley was saying, actually uh, saying that, well, thesis doesn't have a right to choose liberal candidates in this country. It's odd. Like that's that's not you know, he doesn't he hasn't denied that this happened.
0: He kind of talks around it sideways like that. It makes him seem more bought off.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, what it sounds to me—I don't know how, about you guys—but when I when I hear that, what I hear him saying is essentially, "Yes, we were warned that Han Dong is Beijing's guy, and uh, we don't care, and uh, we told Cece to stay in your lane." That's how I—I I, I don't know how else we can read this. This is the thing, and this this has become normalized. There's nothing, you know. It's okay. In in inviting the interference of a belligerent and foreign power to interfere in Canada's elections. The most brazen instance of this, a guy named John McCallum, he was our ambassador before Dominic Barton, the horrible person from McKinsey. We, have, we appointed him ambassador to China. <laughs> John McCallum was a cabinet minister who... You know, took seventy three thousand dollars in free trips to China, uh, and and then when he was appointed ambassador to China, he considered it um, a, a promotion. And then during the whole Meng Wangzhou kidnapping of the Mike's affair, he took he took China's side twice publicly, took Meng Wangzhou's side, and finally Christian Freeland, who's really the only really smart person in Trudeau's cabinet. I kind of like Christian she's the deputy prime minister and she's the finance minister she was assigned to uh, renegotiate the nafta deal she's a uh, ukrainian democrat speaks russian and ukrainian fluently i don't know how she puts up with him everybody says she's going to be take over jen Stoltenberg's shop in nato when he leaves anyway she said okay he's got to go now he's you know either he goes or i go so he goes back into the you know palm-greasing business, the China trade. And this isn't something that a CSIS you know, agent leaked to a reporter or was intercepted in, a, in an email or, or a diplomatic tele, telegram or something. In an on-the-record conversation with a South China Morning Post reporter, John McCallum said that he was doing everything that he could Uh, in his communications and relations with his former interlocutors in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in China to persuade the government in the ways it could conduct itself, conduct its affairs, in such a way as to uh, help reassure the uh, re-election of the, the Trudeau government and defeat the Conservatives. said this on the record. So... I think this is the funny thing. You know, it's, it's a thing about corruption and the way it's different than the other political vices is that the more there is of it, the harder it is to talk about <laughs> and uh, the less people see of it. So, yeah, I think that's what's gone on here is that um, this is normalized. The idea was that China was the future. China was the way to... F- Create a flourishing middle class. Uh, that was going to be Canada's golden decade. It was going to be win-win, uh, and so it was just constant and persistent. And um, and 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 I think really irresponsibly, a lot of the media in this country, just you know, well, that's just the way it is. Okay, here's Trudeau. He's invited Li Kang up to Harrington Lake with the misses and the kids and, you know, pose for the prime minister's f- official photographer was sitting in an Adirondack chair. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's become normalized. And I think, you know, so that's why, that's why it's hard for the penny to drop. Although things really did
0: start to go sideways when the mics were kidnapped. Well, so, after that and with all of this these new revelations about Chinese interference in the elections like how do like are is the Canadian public responding to it do, do they care this is this is taking fire then
2: yeah it's been it's been building I remember you see okay there's a kind of a small town in Canada of journalists who cover China and I only do so sort of sideways because you know my beat is kind of international human rights foreign policy so, there's stuff happening in Syria, spent a lot of time in the Middle East, and then there's Ukraine, and there's all this other stuff going on. Uh, but it's a small town. You've got Joanna Shu and uh, Jeremy Nuttall at the Toronto Star. You've got Steve Chase and Bob Fife at the Globe and Mail. You've got Sam Cooper and Stu Bell at Global and CTV. You've got uh, me and Tom Blackwell um, at the Nash in Post Media doug kwan from time to time that's basically it
3: wait so there's there's fewer than a dozen journalists in all of canada who are covering china on any kind of regular yes. basis yes i mean Canada's a small country but it's not that small it and seems like, like something's wrong wrong.
0: <laughs> there should maybe be more people uh, getting on that
2: yeah yeah and i think but anyway we had a conversation i guess it was maybe steve jeremy and me i don't know who else was in A couple of years ago, we said, well, our job is, you know, our job here is done, you know, like stuff that I would write that people would say, oh, Glavin, you're kind of edgy there, you know, but, uh, you know, sounding a little radical, maybe, uh, you know, within months, it would be the editorial position of the gray lady, the editorial board of the Globe and Mail. You know, we looked around and we saw, you know, I'm normal. I am totally normal my views, I hold no heterodox views about this at all. 87% of Canadians hold opinions about this stuff that I hold about this stuff. I'm grossed out about Beijing's cruelty and sadism in Hong Kong and in in Xinjiang. So are Canadians. And recently, the polls on, on the election stuff most Canadians say, "Yeah, um, doesn't look like uh, our government is is, uh, is 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 standing up to China. Looks like uh, Beijing interfered in our
0: elections." Yep. Do you think there will be accountability for Trudeau and the Liberal Party? Believe it or not, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, he's a Teflon
2: guy; survives a lot. There being all of these calls for a public inquiry under the Inquiries Act. Um, And one thing I noticed is that his former uh, senior advisor, he's sort of this Rasputin character, uh, Gerald Butts. (laughs) who – do you know this guy? You know about this guy? No. I I
1: actually think we've covered him once, but only because he had a fight with Jordan Peterson on – twitter or something like that and it was one of the things that came up when jordan peterson was getting like he had to get reevaluated or trained on social media oh yeah 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 yeah. because i remember the name gerald butts i mean gerald is a funny name
2: gerald and i used to be quite chummy actually um he's sort of trudeau's uh rasputin you know like what's his name Uh, what's that guy trump had him uh steve bannon yeah only gut butts was tight with Trudeau. They went to school together. They, they planned, you know, Trudeau's political trage- trajectory, together. He had to resign in this unbelievable scandal that Trudeau survived because he's got Teflon all over him. Um, and, and Butts sort of interfered or intervened. He's gone to the Eurasia group and he said, yeah, there should be a public inquiry, but it should be this sort of broad based inquiry into, you know, the new phenomenon of, uh, of, of uh, you know, governments that interfere in, 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 you know, through digital technologies and, uh, you know, he's always banging on about Hungary, which he should, I mean, who likes, you know, those guys. Uh, but basically it was like, oh, okay, so basically change the subject and bury the story,
3: in other words, right? Well, that's actually brilliant. So he's basically saying, no, 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 it's actually a much larger issue and we should investigate the larger issue, but in doing so the really important part which is the CCP's interference gets completely buried and
2: that's what's happened this week. Uh, what happened this week at the House uh, Affairs and Procedures Committee is the new Democratic Party put forward a motion um, and then the NDP as I say you know sort of like uh, they're the they're the the tail wagged by the liberal dog um they they they're supporting trudeau in a minority government situation um an ndp motion that uh was put forward by peter julian the ndp the new democrat on the committee who all oh, he was just banging on about foreign interference in the context of um the truckers protest the trump election in 2016 brexit um Oh, anti-vax conspiracy theories. It The motion
3: didn't even mention China, the original motion. Right, but none of those things he mentioned were specifically foreign interference, right? I mean, I guess the, the Trump thing, people associate it with that, but I believe that was, that's was that been discounted at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, I yeah, he was sort of representing this as foreign interference. Right, that doesn't seem accurate. Well, no, it isn't. I mean, it's mainly, you know, being a kind of a, you know, an old-style old, old style hippie New Democrat, you know, he, he's con- concerned mainly about the influence in Canada of the beastly Americans.
3: Oh, I, I mean, we are kind of beastly. That's, that's true. <laughs>
2: um, so anyway, you know, there was a big row, and there was a lot of filibustering in the committee and amendments and fighting back and forth. And uh, the conservatives managed to get a little bit of a win that the um, – That the resolution would, uh, that the inquiry would uh, look into the uh, harassment and intimidation of diaspora communities in Canada. So, okay. But basically, it's a non binding motion to submit what would be a non binding resolution in the House of Commons uh, for this sort of open ended think piece inquiry that'll deal with, you know, foreign interference and all its strange mutations and, uh, variety. So, so yeah, I think he's, he may actually survive this. He may actually survive this. The committee will continue its work. And I think the thesis uh, I think the intelligence agencies will still try to keep the public apprised of what's really going on. I also think there's a couple of things that's important is that, um, It's only since the election of Joe Biden that uh, Trudeau has started to behave as though he actually were a NATO country. Um, I mean, he's basically uh, Erdogan. He's, you you know, Turkey, in that he wants to have it both ways. And and that's changed. Uh, That's changed. I think the Biden administration has already boxed his ears. Uh, Janet Yellen, I think, has really boxed his ears. Uh, I mean, from the earliest days of the Obama administration, even before Trudeau was elected, the State Department was saying, look, you guys, this Huawei stuff, you want to stay away from those guys. No good will come of it. And we thought we were clever. You know, when the Americans were making sure that even, you know, uh, volunteer fire departments in Montana couldn't have Huawei gear. You know, we were setting up Huawei campuses in the universities and taking all this money. And I remember Martin Kushan, who's a former liberal... Cabinet minister said quite explicitly when one of these Huawei corp, uh, campuses was being opened up on the outskirts of Ottawa, "Well, if you can't beat them, join them." So you know, it took it took Biden's election, I think, for the penny to drop a little bit uh, around Team Trudeau. You know, we 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 got on board. With the the rest of the Five Eyes partners, and said, "Yeah, we're going to make sure that Huawei is not going to come into our core five G. Uh, you know, we've been excluded from a number of uh, American intelligence and economic strategic Indo Pacific stuff because we basically can't be trusted. We started to, you know, completely done a one hundred and eighty degree turn on state owned enterprises." Trudeau came into power on the on the policy that state-owned enterprises should be encouraged in Canada
1: as in Chinese state-owned enterprises should be encouraged to should be encouraged to do business in Canada
2: yeah not yeah like when CNOC, the Chinese national offshore oil corporation took over Nexon that was the biggest overseas acquisition in the history of the People's Republic of China It was massive. And China was buying up these sort of you know strategic spigot points in the oil patch. and finally Steve Stephen Harper put his foot down. Trudeau was all for it. He said, this is ridiculous. We should invite them in. we should have them in. Let's go." Um, that you know he, he would you know every every once in a while he would say, well of course you know there are people radicals in the Conservative Party who would argue for decoupling from china uh, only two months ago i guess it was francois philippe Champagne, our minister of uh, whatever it is now it's a big fancy title said uh, you know we have to start thinking about decoupling and all the whole friend shoring business uh you know is is a- utterly antithetical to trudeau's vision of a post-national canada
1: why don't, what, what is, is a, a post national canada? canada yeah
2: when he was elected uh that's what he explained that's what his project was that he was canada would be you know a place of unlimited mobility of labor and capital that you know we weren't going to make any distinctions between uh you know american oil companies started by some roughnecks in utah and, you know, the, the overseas acquisitions of arms of the Chinese Communist Party, that um, Canada had no core identity, um, that um, there was no such thing as a Canadian, essentially, except this kind of cosmopolitan, I hate to be sound weird, but like a World Economic Forum Davos kind of Davos map.
0: I mean, it does kind of sound like what you know Marx and communist theory th- says about the future—that you know, no nations; it's all just going to be this post-national world.
1: I mean, the globalization said a lot of that too. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, I'm 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 kind of a liberal internationalist. I got no, you know, I I I, I you know, I, I I I haven't completely abandoned my youthful Trotskyism. <laughs> but this is totally different. This is this is. um a boot stamping on a human face forever quite frankly no distinction between democracies and
0: totalitarian states well I'm curious too because Trudeau has shown that he's not very friendly to critics uh like I mean didn't he like cut off people's bank accounts who were like protesting some of the COVID policies? well he's not a
2: liberal Democrat he's not a liberal Democrat that's the other thing that people really what is he? have to
0: understand about
2: well a good question Davos man He's Donald Trump with nice hair. Oh my gosh! I mean, he's he is and he isn't. I mean, uh, there there are certain subtle distinction differences. But um, he never he's never. I mean, like Donald Trump, he's never met a dictator that he didn't like. And and it's it's. I think it's just so counterintuitive to people because. I mean, the other thing that's his, I think really almost pathological with the guy is that he's so susceptible to flattery is a terrible weakness uh and of course when you're you're made the target of an influence a long long running influence campaign uh the designed and structured by the united front work department so that's what's going on up here guys
1: (laughs) fun fun. well i mean i want to go back to something you mentioned a little bit tangentially earlier was that you feel like this is This, the security agency in Canada is saying, like, we're going to break the law to actually expose this to the Canadian people. Um, do you think that, like, given the Trudeau government's reaction to all this stuff, like, this is going to continue to happen?
2: I do, and I also think the other thing that's going to continue to happen, I should say too, that, um, the analyses and the briefings that have been making the round of are making the rounds are classified and as secret and top secret. So some of this stuff has actually gone to the other five eyes. Some of the stuff has gone to the Americans, of course. And interestingly, the Germans and the Japanese as well. The stuff is getting out there. All you know, as I, as I say already, I think he's had his ears boxed by the Americans. They've had to say, look, pal, the world has changed. Disco is dead. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And you know, you got to you got to recognize you got to you got to pick a side here. You know? Um His first foreign affairs minister, Stefan Dion. You know, this is got to remember this is only 2015. It was only a year after the annexation of Crimea and the invasion of Luhansk and Donbass in Donbas, Donbas in, in eastern Ukraine. Stefan Dion, you know, he articulated this new policy. What did he call it? Responsible conviction, this new theory of foreign policy. It was just garbage. Uh, what it was, was we do whatever we feel like We feel like it. And if we think it's in Canada's corporate interests, that's what we're going to do. There, there shouldn't be any uh, sanctions uh, uh, on the Russians. We should reintroduce um, the Russians into North America via the Arctic Council, you know, went to all these international conferences, sitting in Sergey Lavrov's lap. We should shouldn't have any sanctions with the Iranians. Um, we should reestablish relationships with uh, uh, with China in a big way. This is the way they roll. This is how they think, and it does go back to Daddy, you know, to to Pierre Trudeau, and it goes back to Jean Chrétien, who. You know, he's a senior partner in Denton's, international law firm. The Canadian Denton's is basically the, the Canadian wing of Beijing Da Cheng. Uh, Jean Chrétien, the prime minister, who two weeks after he had to skedaddle from Ottawa in this scandal, he was chased out by his own party, he's in Beijing. And that's where he's been ever since. Uh, and his uh, he's married into the Demers family. Demers family founded the Canada China Business Council. Uh, major, big, big time money. SNC Lavalin, all of these corporations. It's bred in the bone with them. He grew up in this
1: environment, so he sees nothing wrong with it. I mean, from what you're saying, then, like as long as Trudeau is the prime minister, nothing fundamental will change in respect to the CCP influence in Canada.
2: I'll say whatever will change, it it will be changed that will be forced on him. Christian Freeland again, um, about Stéphane Dion, the the first foreign minister, when he started getting too kissy-faced with Lavrov, as she did with John McCallum, she said either he goes or I go. And she took his job and in the last couple of weeks she has been instructing the chair and three board members of a bank called wealth one bank in canada that they had to divest themselves of their holdings or go back to china because they were compromised by the chinese communist party and those very individuals were the guys who were uh, organizing Justin Trudeau's Cash for Access uh, soirees with senior liberal donors and Chinese billionaires in 2016. So she's intervening there, too. And and, and as I say, the Americans have had enough. And, you know, there's, there is talk. I was talking to John Schindler last week. He's a former uh, National Security Agency. You guys got him down there teacher at the uh, naval war college uh and he was saying that you know the relationship between at the, the agency level is still pretty solid between the yanks and can and the canadians but there is a growing there has been a growing nervousness about what the americans can share with canada because they don't know where it's going to go it goes up to cabinet office and maybe it goes to the embassy the chinese embassy you know it's it, it's big this is a big deal and i think from from an american point of view i've always been quite surprised that i mean you know the back channel stuff and the state department and the intelligence intelligence agency stuff has always been fairly you know the outlines have been fairly clear i mean we had a you know and we renegotiated the canada us free trade agreement we had a free trade agreement at the time. It's kind of like a Zolverein. You know, it's like a, almost like a single economy. And Trudeau had to be specifically admonished that he was not allowed. And, and there's a clause in the new agreement. That you I'm sorry, but you cannot invite China in the back door <laughs> into our free trade agreement. And if you do, uh, we can give you three months' notice and pull out. So it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And uh and I know the Americans, you know, the kind of, you know, this deep state department guys, and certainly the Biden White House have had it. And, you know, it's all being very, you know, it's all very well and good until someone puts an eye out, sort of an attitude. Or, you know, you kids upstairs, it's time to pipe down and go to sleep. Um I really do think that uh he will get away with as much as he is allowed to get away with. It's very very difficult to determine whether or not he's actually changed, genuinely changed or grown or woken up after everything that uh, Beijing has done to us. And all the humiliation over the last five years.
3: So what can ordinary Canadians do in the face of all this, you know, they're, they're reading about it. Now you've got, you know, what you've written on the post and Substack, and, and there's, you know, these, these revelations that keep coming out. Right. But it's easy to feel powerless to actually change anything. If you're just a regular citizen. So like, yeah, what can you do?
2: What you, what can you do? You can spit on your hands, raise the black flag and start slitting throats. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you Thank <can> get- <laughs> you. Finally, someone says it. <laughs>
2: I think uh, um, more increasingly, you know, you see. Okay, in Canada, we're so much different from the Americans in this way. Uh, we didn't have full sovereignty over foreign policy until the Treaty of Westminster in what was that, nineteen thirty-one. Foreign policy is never like foreign policy matters in the United States. It matters. Canada is like, yeah, you know, we're sort of living under the American security umbrella. Uh, you know, You know, foreign policy attitudes and ideas are luxury attitudes and ideas. That's been the thinking. And it's a matter best left to the expert. But I think, you know, because of economic changes and political changes over the last 25 years or so, people are increasingly realizing that you cannot put foreign policy in a different box, in its own box. Foreign policy, uh, you know, wealth migration, house prices, uh, climate change, uh, fuel prices, immigration, refugees. I mean, it's all part of the same package. And I think Canadians are feeling, they're feeling their oats a little bit. Uh, more and more every year on these issues and and i don't think canadians will be long content to have to have god i'm not going to be okay i'm going to be a little bit mean to have beijing's guy in the prime minister's office um i think those days are over um so yeah i mean I'm an optimist. Uh, I don't see any light at the end of this particular tunnel um, on the election interference because of the way it's been, you know, change the subject and bury the story. Um, But I do think that um, it's not too late. The overwhelming majority of Canadians, you know, you know, the other thing is we're not, we never. Th- this is also a funny thing that comes. From, I don't think many Canadians know this. That you know, we we don't. We it's only very recently that, that people who are in the category of white people call themselves white people. We never used to call ourselves white people. This, what's that? Some American thing. And we really do have a multicultural society now, and it's been it's been that way actually for a long, long time, but. White people, quote unquote, are now the minor- minority in the Greater Toronto Area. I think white people are the minority in Greater Vancouver too, Metro Vancouver. And 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 there's all of these really fascinating, wonderful communities, and all these excuses that we want to find to get into one another's liquor cabinets and mix it up. And 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 and, and that was actually flowering until Trudeau came along. There's a different kind of conception of multiculturalism that informs Trudeau liberalism. And it's, you know, I hate to use the word woke, but you know what I mean when I say the word woke, right? I mean the guy is like uh he's like a, a TikTok account in charge of a G seven country. You
0: know? <laughs> that's that's pretty fantastic. That's that's great.
2: Uh, and 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 you know he it, it's useful to him this kind of you know uh, post post uh, post national state. The basic idea was Canada is a horrible racist colonial settler state, white supremacists, Until I came along, I'm I'm a nice one. We're the nice ones. And all of his Paul, everything he does reflects that kind of thing that he does right um and i think most people are thinking wait a minute you know old george down the street we always got along what's he talking about (laughs) you know and 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 people are just fed up with that kind of thing and um i think it's a dead end i think i don't know how how closely you guys pay attention to these cultural trends in your own country we can't avoid it yeah i guess you can't eh I mean, but we've got it bad up here. we got it really bad. And
0: it's it's in the prime minister's office. Ironic since he was in blackface so many times. I know. I know.
1: It was cultural appreciation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Well, Terry, thank you so much for joining us today. Like, you know, so many times when we have a guest on the show, we're always learning about, like, how horrible the Chinese Communist Party's influence is in the United States, and always me very depressed. But, you know, now thanks to you, I realize Canada has it much worse. Oh well, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> and and I understand that you yes, well
2: you do. You have a new uh, China committee, the Senate committee, I think, or Congressional yeah, committee. House committee. Yes, House, yeah. House yeah. committee. Yeah. That's starting its work. So that is really good news. You've been really bipartisan on this stuff for a long time. I hope that stick. I hope hope you can stick to that.
1: I think the uh chinese communist party is making it almost uh, necessary and inevitable that we're sticking with that that's the one thing that people can agree on still
0: trump biden everyone yeah grant grant keep it up
1: uh terry if people want to follow what's happening in canada or follow you where, where should they go
2: you should read the ottawa citizen
0: and the national post and you should also subscribe to my Substack, which is called the real story and we'll definitely put a link to that below so anyone can follow that we recommend it and so yeah thanks again for joining us okay lovely to talk to you guys
1: you know when people after the trucker protest started kind of joking about how Canada is an authoritarian country yes uh yeah I kind of realized the the deeper truth in that now yeah
0: I I really do wonder how Trudeau will be reacting to all of these accusations
1: so, i think it also depends on what else comes out right
0: yeah like, and i guess like uh terry was saying how much of a international response there is against him how much of the earboxing goes on
1: i mean it's pretty bad if you have to think that can uh, the whole jokes that we've made over the years about invading canada and canada invading the us
0: just we need a war of liberation to bring democracy to canada
1: the whole thing about uh, – yeah, like the whole thing about the foreign minister who was like, yes, let's do business with Iran and Russia and China and –
3: yeah. But that's like – but that's the Davos World Economic Forum post-nationalist idea, like Terry was saying. Like we the elites, these one percenters, it's really the one the percent of one percenters, many of whom are, are multi-multi-millionaires or billionaires, just believing that because they have become this wealthy and powerful – it is because they are capable, and therefore, uh, they know policy better. And it is uh, it is their burden uh, and obligation to direct policy in the idea that they feel is best. Is this the new white man's burden thing? I think I think it is. Uh-huh. I, Interesting. I, I, I'm not sure that the the concept is new, but I do think there's a kind of white man's burden that the elites uh take on in, in every era right so you know 200 years ago it, it was the white man's burden the colonialism uh, the thing the colonialism right? thing yeah. right and the and the the british when they had empire right they they believed that it was the white man I mean, there's there's problems with calling it the white man's burden too
1: well i mean that was but, the poem that
3: Richard kipling wrote
1: about it so right.
3: that's so yeah. that's that's how it got the name but yeah the people who are in power often believe that they're the most capable because they're in power because they have money but then the the ramifications like often they're wrong right and and if and if you're a person who an ordinary citizen who believes in freedom and democracy and you want to live in a free country you you may not get elites who are agreeing
0: with you now i i disagree with you man i gotta say like this this kind of new thought you're thinking about like freedom and democracy Forget we need to go back to the traditional ways of human society where we're ruled by a, a god king who has absolute power over everyone and everything but should that god king be justin trudeau oh gosh <laughs> Well, I guess it's whoever has the stronger god king, <laughs> and I think Xi Jinping is probably a stronger god king than
1: right, but than Justin Trudeau. Trudeau. But but the, the, yeah, th- the like thing he that's... said, like uh, Terry was saying, right, like that Trudeau is just some flunky, like vizier, often. He's like a little potato. Line. Yeah, he's a little potato. A little potato. That's he's kind not, of perfect. Isn't he's
0: not it?
3: even the full potato. He's, he's a little he had little a lot potato. of
0: good uh, one-liners about Trudeau, but yeah, it's weird that you're talking like you know, um, like Trudeau. And like his ilk always uses this language about you know like oh you know colonialism bad white people is bad all of these things and but then they themselves are also horribly racist trudeau in all of his blackface uh totally willing to uh, partner up with Horrible authoritarian dictators. So it's like, how do you hold those two conflicting worldviews in your mind? Like, oh yes, we're I'm I'm here to help the people who are oppressed, right. and it's, then
3: It's us it's make it's very business, easy. like
1: let's do business with the oppressors. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, right. I think the the key here is money and power.
3: Right. <laughs> that whole expression, like if you can't beat them, join them, which was something that I mean, I remember growing up with that in Looney Tunes, but that was originally adopted from some some American politician. Like it's a horrible phrase. Like it, it's like if you can't beat them, join, like the, no, <laughs> it's it's if you can't uh, work with your opposition, but they're still doing something that is morally abhorrent, don't join them, <laughs> stand up for what you believe in, and try to get more people on your side to stand up for what's right. But I mean, I
1: think the key there is that there wasn't anything particular that that guy, that Canadian guy, believed in,
3: right except maybe like a kind of post-national world government
1: making money with Huawei.
3: Right. But obviously the problem with the world government is then you have to merge free countries with authoritarian countries and the inevitable result of that is that authoritarian ideas creep into the free countries. It's amazing and not how the naive
1: we were about thinking that like like the whole Bill Clinton China joining the WTO they're going to naturally become more free because of, you know, doing
3: business with And we have seen, you know, regardless of causation, we have certainly seen Western democratic countries become more authoritarian in terms of more centralized power, more centralized I mean, government control. There's over been various like open of worship society.
1: of that type of like Chinese Communist Party technocratic. I'm Bloomberg. Right? Yeah. Right. Look,
3: look, look at their high speed rails, Shelley. Look how they can build these magnificent cities and and like you, like all you're seeing is the result that the Chinese Communist Party is specifically allowing you to see, and they're cutting off everything else. They've they've cut off access to you know re- reporters interviewing the literally millions of people who were displaced often forcibly to make way for the high-speed rail routes or this or the cities. They're blocking reporters from going to rural areas to see what effect these things have had on the countryside and on the elderly and on the on Chinese minority groups.
1: I mean, it almost doesn't matter
3: in a sense, as long as you can get the
1: elites to come. Right, and look at your magnificent cities, and just be like starry eyed about it. You and know? they
0: don't, they don't really care. I mean, I've, I've said this before. To them, it's like a game of Sim City. It's like how you play a game of Sim City. It's like, oh, you know, you get to control everything. You don't care if, like, oh, I, I want to move this residential district, bulldoze, bulldoze everything. it. What about the people there? Doesn't uh, matter.
1: There's no people. there. I'm gonna there. unleash
0: yeah. a monster. That'll be fun to watch.
1: Oh gosh. Well, I was actually thinking too. I mean, in terms of the like. It's even hard for people who know better sometimes to not be dazzled by that. Remember we had that mutual friend who used to work for Google and he went to China. And mm-hmm. because we had talked to him so many years about the CCP and stuff like that, he understood what the system was. But like, they also brought him to this like big tech facility, right. wherever it was, like Shanghai or whatever. And it was just like dazzling. And he came back and told us about it. And you could tell that he was a little bit dazzled. Yeah, you know, like even oh, yeah. though he knew, and if so, if you don't have any background in exactly what's under the the dark underbelly of this world, right. like you don't you know? know
3: what to look for. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, and I and I think that that's that's how authoritarian countries work. It's all it's all this kind of Potemkin village. The difference in China is it's not an obvious Potemkin village because it's it's a Potemkin city that actually. Is really a city, and there is so much real stuff going on. So, what's actually being hidden is not that like the skyscrapers are, are just like a fake painting. It's just that the it's all real. Shanghai is real, Beijing is real, Guangzhou is real. There's real economies, real companies. But the the dark side is is in other places, right? So you've got the destruction of of um, Rural families and communities, the destruction of ethnic minority groups throughout China, or the parts CCP has taken over. You've got forced labor. Forced labor. Um, well, I mean it's not even far away like, destruct, that. like it's absolute.
0: In, it's not even far away it's in those cities themselves you don't see that like, it makes, everything it's on is the made,
1: outskirts right or right. it's un, literally underground remember those underground well, no what i'm saying cities?
0: it's like it's it's like you see the glittering economy it's all based on debt it's a bubble that's going to oh. burst you don't see the fact that people aren't allowed to unionize there's no free speech no religion in those cities it's not just that like it's some far away place in china that you know no one can see you, it's the system itself is corrupt and rotten to the core and it will collapse once enough pressure just is applied right but no one is applying that
3: pressure i
1: think actually everybody's doing the opposite of applying that pressure which is trying to keep it propped up as much as possible
3: right i mean
1: i'm thinking about western countries now
0: like trying to do business with china and and the far right idea of decoupling from china what a
3: radical radical what we should do is what the chinese communist party is now uh, like they're liberalizing by allowing, you know, Western private equity co- firms to come in and invest in Chinese real estate, which it's like it appears to be a liberalization. But what's actually happening is the Communist Party is running out of money. They're desperate for money to fix the real estate crisis. Now they're they're inviting Western companies to come in and dump billions and billions of dollars into fix their Rock problem. And BlackRock is totally going to fall for it. They're all going to fall for it. And what's going to happen is either the it'll work like the foreign money will come in it'll it'll essentially prop up their real estate sector in a way that it was not otherwise possible, or it'll collapse anyway. In which case, you know, the uh, Western private equity companies will be left holding the bag, but whose money uh, was lost in that transaction? It was our money, our investor money. The the people who invest in the stock market, the people whose pension funds. Are, are tied invested, to yeah. all this stuff. Like like the Communist Party is going to bail out its its own, the real estate crisis of its own making with like average American citizen's money. And it's, it's brilliant and cunning. And like, I'd really admire it if it weren't so truly evil.
1: You know, I was also thinking in terms of like when Terry was talking about like McKinsey and like these kind of the consulting firms the consulting firms or like these like masters of the universe type people um and about Trudeau and his whole worldview. that it actually reminded me of what Cleo was talking about in the Pacific Islands last week in terms of you just need to get the right people
0: in, in, in position of power, of power right? Yeah. Like
1: Stephen Harper was also like not great when it came to the CCP. Like he supported a lot of Chinese business coming in. Remember he actually was photographed with Bo Xilai like right before oh, Bo Xilai yeah, got merged. Yeah. That did yeah. not age well. No, no. It was totally stupid and naive. But, you know, Trudeau is a different animal. And right. So to have Trudeau come in, it was like having Sugavari come in in the Solomons, Right. It's just like having the yeah, right, right person in who will do all this dirty work for you or right. who will look the other way and then right. you, you have your foothold.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you, you don't need the majority of people in that country to support the CCP. You just don't, it's, it's almost irrelevant and it becomes increasingly irrelevant uh, because once the CCP gets that tiny, tiny, group of of elites captured and gets them into positions of power they will those people will learn from China how to make opposition voices irrelevant or ineffective yeah right and that's that's what's happened in the Solomon Islands, uh, which is you know you get sogavari in power he doesn't represent what most people in the Solomon Islands want but it doesn't matter because now with Sogavari in power he's getting, uh, weapons from Australia, which he's hoodwinked them into, and he's getting uh, his police trained by China. And now also a lot of money, a right? lot of money from China. And now he's got the resources to suppress opposition. So you can't effectively protest against him the way that you could protest even a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, the people in Malaita province that were. Uh, previously opposed to Sogavari's pro CCP stance. The people still are, right? But he's going to put, you know, pro Sogavari people in that province and pro Beijing people and like gradually. They're gonna that, Hong Kong it. Exactly, they're gonna Hong Kong it. Which and, it
0: sounds like that's what Trudeau has done. And yeah, like I really wonder how he's going to respond to increasing pressure. Right. I
1: mean, I think the whole thing that came out this last week about that money that was given, because we had talked to Sam Cooper on a previous podcast yeah. about the donation from Zhang Bing to the Trudeau Foundation, like that was known, right? But the fact that Csis came out and was like, "We have a conversation between the some consulate diplomat and Jiang Bing that, that said
3: he'd be reimbursed yes, by the Chinese government, like
1: told him to donate a million dollars to then Trudeau did. stuff." and yeah. then he would get reimbursed for yeah. it yeah
0: and like you like how he he got around like any kind of like you know limitations on how much you can give directly to the politician by you know there's a statue there's donations. yeah to like the it was
1: actually the University of Montreal that like they uh, that he gave all this money to and wanted to $50,000 of it was to for a Pierre Elliott Trudeau statue but I didn't know until later because, like, then the news broke out a couple of days later that it was actually he originally asked for a statue of Trudeau and Mao
3: together. Which I, just... I, I kind of wish that that had been made, <laughs> because, because it then, just... then, then it would just be like here's a symbol of what's actually happening, and then Canadians could kind of rally around that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like Terry said, read the room, right? That.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like. There's not many Mao defenders these days. It's like people who are like, hey, you know. Stalin. <laughs>
3: I mean, I Stalin arguably killed oh, no. fewer people oh, than no. now. But,
1: okay. Okay, that's
0: I guess authoritarianism is on a spectrum.
3: That's right. Uh-huh.
1: And where's Canada on that spectrum now?
0: Uh this is a far-off province of China.
3: Yeah, I mean that you know, the Canadian government is not killing its citizens. I mean that we know about, it and probably not. Haven't
0: you heard about these new euthanasia
3: laws? Oh mm. no! Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, so, 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 w- whether or not that's that's close or far off, I don't know. But also, it's not the same as as what you know, Mao okay. or Stalin did. And but I bring this up because it's like it's so it's so visibly not the same, right? But because there's not the same level of of killing, but there is a level of authoritarianism creep that is gradually taking away people's freedom and people's rights in a way that is like, it's indisputable. Like the idea that if you protest the prime minister, the, the, the prime minister can, can get the bank to block your account, shut off your own access to your own money, right? That's like, that's very serious authoritarianism creep because it ruins your livelihood.
1: I mean, I'm now thinking of a scene in The Handmaid's Tale, the TV show, right? Where they started by kind of blocking women from being able to have bank accounts. Like they weren't able to have money anymore.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, that authoritarian creep is happening all over the world. And I think in the face of it, I mean, if you can't beat them, join them. Let's (laughs) worship these God Kings.
1: well chris so, that's a little unambitious unambitious shouldn't you strive to become one of the god kings Oh, i
0: will be supreme leader of these united states for life mm-hmm. one global empire
3: oh so these united states doesn't refer to just the 50 american states it's refers oh, no, to no. all all the other countries as well yes okay yes united under the banner of, of chris chapel supreme leader
0: something like that
3: i <laughs> just watch out for uh you know what happens after taco tuesdays the killing phil fields wednesdays yes. that's right <laughs> it that doesn't quite no roll one...
1: off the tongue as well as taco tuesday <laughs> but the
0: tongues will be rolling out of people's heads oh. <laughs> uh, we're going to build this really tall tower uh-huh to heaven it'll be great it'll be <laughs> the best it'll okay. be big thank you for watching china unscripted i'm chris Chappell.
3: i'm shelly john and i'm matt ganesta
0: talk to you next time